0: My Car Guru, episode 181. Well, hello, everyone. This is Lenny Lawson, the car guru, on a very busy week. Uh, This being the week that we travel to a football game that I have no vested interest in other than the fact that my grandson loves Alabama. So we are actually taking him flying out of Cincinnati. My wife and I have to drive to Cincinnati. That's where he lives. And then we're going to pick him up and go to the airport, and we're going to fly to Austin, Texas, and we're going to watch Texas get beat by Alabama. At least that's what I'm hoping. My wife even bought me an Alabama T-shirt, and she bought herself one too. Normally we would be wearing the big orange, Tennessee. But, you know, since we um, are going to be with a bunch, that would be weird, wouldn't it? Because Tennessee orange really doesn't look anything like Texas orange. Texas orange is more of a burnt orange, and Tennessee orange is much brighter and more obnoxious in some ways. That's that's what my wife thinks. She never has, like, the orange and white colors. Why can't we get another color? I think that's maybe why they change uniforms, um, you know, for some of their games is they get tired of orange and white, too, so they go black and orange or they go uh, like Halloween or gray and orange, dark gray. And all the fans just love that for some reason. It's just so, um, I don't know, what would you call that? Rebellious? Of course, I think somebody that's really rebellious, Lane Kiffin was the one who started that with the gray uniforms. He was trying to fire everybody up. He wanted to be different. You know, sometimes, though, being different is the beginning or the desire to be different is the beginning of progress, right? The The beginning of positive change in some ways and, and that's basically what happened to the auto industry over the years. I, I've been uh, listening to an audio book about the life and times of Henry Ford and it's, it was actually written by Henry with the help of somebody else and uh, he talks about his philosophy of business and how he he got his version of the, the automobile going and you know just the support from all the people that it took. Uh, mostly family members, and how he almost went broke several times before before he finally perfected a design that would work. Uh, Fascinating story. Today, I want to talk a little bit about the history of the car business. And I'm going to go back. We're going to talk about what were the most popular cars from every decade uh, since the vehicle or since the automobile came out. So I thought that might be an interesting journey. So we'll dive into that here in just a minute. But first, I want to talk a little bit about oil. Doesn't that sound fascinating? You know, not the kind you use to cook foods or anything like that, but the kind that goes into your car. And specifically, what is the difference between conventional and synthetic oil? Does synthetic oil sound like a positive thing? Well, it is. Um, I have a uh, an older Porsche, a 2005 a uh, Carrera S that I have to use 10 quarts of full synthetic oil in it. Now what would happen if I used just regular 10W40 Valvoline or, you know, some other brand of oil in my engine? Well, the truth is it could damage it. And so oil is not oil, or all oils are not created equal and we're going to go into that here in just a second. So if you leave it up to your customers, or my customers, the oil in their vehicles may never be changed or may be replaced by something totally incompatible for their engine and for their driving requirements. Different cars and different engines require different oils. Um, It is an engineering thing, folks. It's science. So, you know, I don't don't think we're supposed to disagree with science, at least in some things. I guess it all depends on whose science it is, right? Right. But it is believed by a lot of folks that all oil is the same, but it is wrong. Modern engines are built to much tighter tolerances, and as a result, they rely on specific oil pressures for maximum fuel economy or to support vital systems such as variable valve timing. You didn't even know your car has that, but it probably does. So substituting a non-recommended viscosity engine oil can really hurt your fuel economy It can hurt your emissions, and it can actually accelerate wear on critical components. Now, I've got this uh, 1966 Mustang Fastback. It has the uh, high-performance engine in it. Uh, That was what was put in it when it was new. And because the oil has changed over the years and gasoline has changed, I have to be very careful with what I put in that engine. When it comes to the gasoline, I have to add lead to the gasoline because lead isn't in modern gasolines and uh, i go by the little auto parts store and i keep a couple uh, containers of it in the back of my vehicle so whenever i put gas in it i also put the lead additive Um, and what that does is it basically lubricates the valves the valves would be damaged in this car if i didn't do that over a long period of time so i do that But according to the American Petroleum Institute, there are basically five different groups of base oils used to make all of today's motor oils based on the refining methods and the properties of the oil. Now, what isn't universally understood is that synthetic and conventional motor oils start out the same way as petroleum crude oil. Synthetics are simply more refined. That's why they're more expensive. The formulations created by uh, different chemists can be tailored to meet certain needs or specific needs of performance cars. Um, Also for high mileage engines and those that operate in extreme environmental conditions, uh, often in the same bottle of oil. So it's uh, amazing what they can engineer to protect multiple different types of vehicles and how they're used. Now we use a synthetic blend for uh, all of our Ford products, some of our uh, most of our Nissans require full synthetic, and so an oil change is going to cost you more if you use a full synthetic. It's not a whole lot more, but it's more. Synthetic blends are uh, recommended by Ford, uh, unless we're talking about the uh, GT500, and then it's supposed to be a full synthetic. So it's so important to know what your car requires, and the only place you learn that is either from the salesperson selling you the vehicle, a service advisor when you go in to get it serviced, or you could always read the owner's manual. Imagine that. Now, uh, in the last 10 years, the percentage of vehicles in operation using synthetics has jumped from 51% to 73%. Synthetic oils have become a mainstream consumer requirement. They're not just for enthusiasts anymore, but the oil that's correct for your vehicle shouldn't be left to guesswork. So please check it out and make sure you know what your uh, your car requires because you really could damage your engine if you're not careful. Okay, we'll take our first break and be back here and talk about the best cars from all the decades that have slipped by since the car was first introduced. Okay, so most of your formative years were in the 70s. Okay, well, yours might not have been, but mine were. So, what were the vehicles of the 70s that were the most popular? Um, You know, it probably wasn't the Vega. Probably not the Pinto. More than likely, it wasn't the AMC Matador. I hate to break your heart. But let's go back. Let's go back a little bit further. You want to? Let's go back to 1900. Let's hit the first decade after 1900. Now, you know, people were driving around in cars. They looked kind of odd. They didn't have steering wheels. They had a tiller. And you sat atop the engine, just like an old carriage. That's what it looks like. Uh, But Ransom Olds, you ever heard of that name? He was the uh, founder, creator of the Oldsmobile, and he created this car called the Oldsmobile Curved Dash. Now, the Curved Dash became the best-selling car in America, with Oldsmobile producing up to around 5,000 units per year. Uh, They sold for, they're pretty expensive at the time, $650. Uh, Most car makers of the day catered to the wealthiest clients. You know, really the car was kind of like an appliance back then. Um, Although this curved dash had some very attractive lights, they were lit by gas, basically, and they were um, brass. They were kind of pretty, had a pretty horn on it, but everything else is black. The seats were tufted. So made it kind of pretty, but pretty much everything else was uh, kind of like an appliance that you would order from a Sears and Roebuck catalog. As a matter of fact, you could order a lot of vehicles through that very catalog as well as the Montgomery Ward catalog. But this powerhouse of a car was powered by a single-cylinder engine, and it produced a whopping four horsepower. And it didn't have a drive shaft or rear differential or anything. It used a chain drive, so it was pretty uh, primitive from that standpoint, but it was a number one seller back then. So let's move to the 1910 to 1919. I bet you could guess what was the most popular vehicle of that time period. And if you guessed a Ford, you're right. If you guessed a Model T, you'd also be right. Uh, my grandfather was born in 1903, and he and his brother in the in this same period built a uh, a car and they used parts from uh, several different Model Ts and created a uh, their own first car and it was uh, I have pictures of that car and it warms my heart every time I look at it it's hard to understate the impact of the Model T on industry on culture and society around the world it was introduced in 1908 the Model T was one of the first mass produced vehicle Henry Ford brought an idea he had seen in a slaughterhouse and implemented it in auto production. To make his factory work, he also had to integrate standardized parts. Previously, most cars and their parts were built by hand, and parts were custom-fit to each car. With the Model T, the parts were mass-produced to the same specifications so that all the parts would fit on all the cars the same way, and he was able to drive down his production costs dramatically to where he could sell the car for a much lower price. Therefore, having more people purchase the things. He managed to get the price of a new Model T down to just $260. Furthermore, he did this while paying workers a wage of $5 a day, which was unprecedented in 1914 when he announced that. Moving to the next decade, the roaring 20s, Uh, Ford continued to dominate auto sales well into the 20s, but it was Chevrolet in 1928 that knocked Ford off the pedestal. Uh, and that's when the rivalry really started, and it continues today. Not quite to the extent that it did in previous decades, but uh, you know it's still a big competition between Chevrolet and Ford. Uh, the Chevrolet was much more modern-looking than what Ford offered. It offered four-wheel mechanical brakes as opposed to Ford's two-wheel-only brakes and a frame that would accommodate an, an all-new six-cylinder engine for the 1929 model year. One interesting note, The uh, Ford bodies were all made out of steel, whereas the inner body of a Chevrolet was made out of wood, and Ford made the most of that in their advertising. If you look at the, uh, I don't know, the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis of the day, they were actually called Duesenberg's. Uh, Duesenberg of that same decade, they created the most opulent of American cars. But you know, a lot of companies did, like Packard, and even Lincoln. But uh, they matched luxury with power. As a matter of fact, the uh, Model J was the pinnacle of automotive quality uh, during the Depression. It came with elegant coachwork, uh, incredible interiors, and a 250 horsepower engine. Uh, it was a straight eight. Uh, they were the cars of the movie stars and bankers, like actor Gary Cooper owned a later Model J with a supercharged 400 horsepower engine. But they are the most valuable cars from this particular period that exist today. Now, in the 30s, um, Ford debuted the new flathead V8. That was in 1932, and it became an instant success. Uh, At the time, V8 engines were reserved for higher-end cars like Cadillacs and Oldsmobiles. And that made Ford's decision to produce a low-cost V8 very advantageous. Uh, Despite the dismal economic conditions of the time, the new Ford sales went gangbusters, uh, these new Fords were popular for their relatively high performance, and they were actually the popular choices for gangsters, such as John Dillinger and Bonnie and Clyde. In fact, Clyde Barrow actually wrote a letter to Henry Ford thanking him for coming out with a flathead V8 so he could, you know, do what he used to do. You've probably heard of the Deuce Coupe. Well, these are they are very common in in the car show scene right now and they were made famous as the automotive mascot for the uh, Texas band ZZ Top. Matter of fact, I was wearing a ZZ Top t-shirt yesterday at home. Yep, I went to the concert. They actually came to the Nicewanger Performing Arts Center in our little town of Greenville, Tennessee, and they were quite good and quite old. Well, let's move on to the 1940s, 1940 to 49. Well, this is kind of an odd choice, but the most popular, most produced vehicle in the 40s. What would you guess it is? You know, you might think a a Chevrolet or Ford or an Oldsmobile maybe or something like that. No, it was actually a Willys Jeep, and that's because of World War II. Uh, It was the most produced vehicle during that particular time frame. Um, It's most iconic. It's the most recognized vehicle of the time. It was originally designed and produced by a company called American Bantam, And it proved to be an invaluable asset to soldiers, and it would, you know, had four-wheel drive, and and basically was a instrumental thing to defeat fascism in the face of uh, overwhelming odds. The American Bantam did not have the production capacity to keep up with the demand of War Department, so plans were given to Willis and to Ford, who collectively built six hundred and forty-three thousand units for the military. And uh, we had a car show not too long ago, and. A guy brought one to the car show, and it was an original from that time period. I'd love to have one of those. But, uh, yep, that was the most popular vehicle of the 40s. You know, my birth decade of the 50s, it was a period of tremendous technological and societal advancement. Uh, One of the most iconic images of the era is that of a 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air. It may not have dominated the sales at the time, but it has since dominated memories. Motor Trend uh, car magazine first named the Bel Air the car of the year in 1955. They praised it for good handling and and an available V8 engine. Further praise for the styling is lavished on what they call the Tri-5. That's the 55, 56, and 57 Bel Air models. I had a 55 two-door hard top. Hard top, you know what the difference is between a two-door coupe, and a two-door hardtop, well, the coupe has a post between the windows on the side, and the hardtop does not. There's no post. And the hardtops are worth more, or have been traditionally. And uh, it really looks good. It's just a very streamlined look. I guess my favorite of those cars was the, the 57, um, just because of the tail fins. And the front end looked a little bit prettier too, and I love the instrumentation better than on a 55. 56s are starting to become more popular just because all the 55s and 57s are have already been restored. And um, so and and believe it or not, the 58, which was one of the was a really radical change for Chevrolet, and did not sell well at all. Those things are really getting popular now. But the Chevrolet Bel Air was obviously the most popular car of the 50s. Now moving to the 60s. We're still sticking around with Chevrolet. You know, the Impala, one of the longest-running nameplates of any American car, it hit a record in '64, selling 1,074,925 units, the most of any single model year up to that time. They beat that in 1965. But the Chevrolet Impala was one of Chevrolet's bestsellers, and it's been a perennial bestseller. But I'm a little miffed uh from this list because I personally think the Mustang needs to be there. I think it was more of a, a cultural changing vehicle than the Impala was. Impala's, you know, they had two-door and a four-door and a, a wagon and they had a convertible. And there were more body styles, of course. The Mustang just had the coupe, the fastback, and the convertible. But Mustang created a whole new segment, the pony car segment. And just think of all the Camaros and Dodge Challengers that have been sold as a result. And we still have the Mustang today. Now, Chevrolet is is talking about eliminating the Camaro again. Uh, Mustang has been consistently there. It almost died in the 70s, however, but um, smarter minds prevailed, or wiser minds prevailed. I don't know how much smarter they were, but they were able to save the Mustang, and therefore it is still with us today. Well, when you move into the 70s, the 70s were dominated, not by Chevrolet not by Ford. I guess overall numbers they were, but an individual most popular car was the Oldsmobile Cutlass. I remember trying to sell Chevy Malibus against the Cutlass. It was hard. Uh, The Cutlass had just uh, a better looking front end. It looked better from the side. The the interior was a little bit fancier. It was actually the best-selling car from 1976 through 1983. So anyone living during this time can attest to how ubiquitous these cars were, and likely knew somebody who owned one. I didn't own one. We traded for a lot of them, and but it was a, a phenomenal uh, seller for Oldsmobile. But boy, did things change in the 80s. So what would you guess would be the most popular car of the 80s? Well, it's not an American-made car. Well, it became an American-made car. It is today. But back then, it was not, and it was called the Honda Accord. Yeah. After taking a firm foothold in the market, Honda really raised the bar by presenting a car that would compete with the American sedans at the time. In fact, they didn't have a whole lot of competition, especially from a quality standpoint. But uh, they achieved great success by making their manufacturing plant in Marysville, Ohio. Uh, They built an incredible car. It was right next to their existing motorcycle plant but it was the first model that came out of that plant but the Honda Accord would become the number one selling car in the US by 1989 selling 367,707 units and eventually it would pass 20 million overall cars built by 2014 now in the 90s though the Americans got a little bit of their mojo back in the form of the Ford Taurus now When I first saw this car, I said, that is the ugliest thing. We'll be able to outsell that thing. It's too rounded. You know, remember how round everything was? Well, they took a total break from traditional styling and went more into the direction of some of the European cars. Uh, It lacked a traditional grille. Its bumpers were molded and integrated into the contours of the body. These were some pretty bold moves back then. The car ended up being named Motor Trans Car of the Year. It was placed on Car and Driver's 10 Best Cars list for 1986. And sales uh, through the 90s topped the charts from 92 to 96, with production finally ending in 2019. Okay, we'll finish this list up here in just a minute. Well, the final two decades. Since 2000, full decades I'm talking about, have been dominated by Toyota when it comes to Uh, the most popular vehicles. Now, again, most popular does not mean, according to this criteria, does not mean the best seller. It it could mean just transformational vehicles. And in the case of the decade from 2000 to 2009, you couldn't get more controversial or groundbreaking than the Toyota Prius. Um, You know, I always thought it looked kind of like a suppository, Uh, (laughs) but the Prius established the viability of hybrids. And I'm driving a hybrid truck today, an F-150 with an EcoBoost a turbocharged 3.5-liter engine and an electric motor with a battery. And uh, matter of fact, I could even power my house with this thing. I mean, Prius was the trailblazer for this kind of stuff. Now, they still have that kind of funky look and, and won't be too long before the Prius goes away uh, and because the whole lineup is going to be electric before long. Or at least hybrid. And I think hybrid makes more sense than full electric anyway. So we'll see what happens to the Prius. And also for the 2010 through 2019 period, uh, another Toyota, the Toyota Camry. Uh, You know, basically the sheer volume of Camrys sold makes them the most common sight on any road. Uh, The the Camry is a great car. It gets you where you need. It's bulletproof reliability. It gets good fuel economy. It's just boring. You know, that's all. It's just vanilla, but people like vanilla. I know I do. I like vanilla, but I don't like Camrys that much. But I do like vanilla, as long as you put a little chocolate on it and a handful of peanuts. Well, that's the list, the most popular vehicles from the year 1900 until today. We'll see what happens in this decade. Uh, transformational vehicles, there are a lot of different ones. Could be You could talk about Tesla, right? Uh, you could look at Ford with their... Uh, changing basically the, the best-selling vehicle on the planet, uh, turning it into an electric vehicle with the F-150 Lightning. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it'll be here before you know it, won't it? Okay, well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and we'll see you next time.